Hi, everyone, and welcome to the GoTech Please Don't Die podcast, a show devoted to tech going and hopefully not dying. I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. I'm Josh. And this week, I guess football is back. The players are back on campus, right? We have football. We have football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in time for a tropical storm, according to Kurt Hester's Twitter. Yeah, it was a little wet here today. Yeah, they were out there working working out uh, on the field because I guess they can't be in the enclosed weight room. You know, last time football was impacted by a tropical storm, we almost beat Johnny Manziel. So maybe that will happen again? <laughs> True. That probably wasn't the last time, but <laughs> one of the most recent times. Yeah, there hasn't been a tropical storm in eight years, right? Yeah. <laughs> Real chill eight years. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like we said, players returned for voluntary workouts starting today, which I guess is yesterday when this episode comes out on, on Monday, June 8th. Uh, the New Star is reporting that they tested all the players and there were no positive COVID-19 cases, which is good news. That is great news. And then other good news that happened this past week is that the baseball tournament for Conference USA was announced to be taking place at Tech this following year, now that the baseball stadium is being built. After that, it will be at Southern Miss and then Rice the year after. But that's still yeah. not keeping some Southern Miss fans from complaining about it leaving Biloxi. Sheesh. So are they are they hosting it at their campus? Yes, it'll be in Hattiesburg in 2022. Okay. okay. I mean, I, I personally like that they're going to move it around to different schools and let different schools host it. Obviously, Tech getting to host it is awesome. And, you know, I guess the closest we could have wished for before this would be maybe shreveport i guess at the yeah do they even have a nice stadium there i mean i know they used to have a minor league team but um i know this is like kind of related i know tech softball was supposed to play the u.s the women's u.s team like in shreveport somewhere so i'm okay. assuming they have some kind of sports complex with plenty of fields from what i understand the place down in biloxi's is is pretty nice yeah. too I but actually, i went to a couple games down there since that's relatively close to slide out when i was still in college i think i'm not sure what the timeline is anymore it's been <laughs> it's been a really long six months for just this year and the past few days have been the longest decade of my life yeah uh, <laughs> it's been rough out here the park is beautiful it's i mean it's a modern minor league baseball stadium it, there's nothing really all that special about it it was nice yeah. if you really like gambling because blux has got those casinos and the beach is there it's not the best beach in the world but it's a beach it works but, yeah it's it was good enough like i don't really have any complaints about it being there at the same time i really like the fact that can host a conference tournament for the first time since they've joined the conference yeah i'm just imagining our friends in the cusa east like their blood pressure must just be so high right now because they're like rice and tech and usm like when does it come to florida when does it come to huntington west virginia maybe when they're good at baseball (laughs) (laughs) pretty much that rice and southern miss are the two best programs in the conference like yeah historically those are two phenomenal baseball oh, yeah. races i mean yeah and uh, you know southern miss is whatever i don't know i don't want to be nice to them so but rice <laughs> is really good at yeah. baseball and tech has got the new stadium and there were some rumors going around that marshall may get it and i guess that's 2024 or five or whenever because they're building a new stadium that's opening this year too yeah so i mean you, you go by the super bowl model and just give this the tournament <laughs> off to whoever has the newest stadium even if it is in minnesota yeah and i would definitely say uh just about the new baseball stadium in general if you're not friends with Les Geis on Facebook, definitely go hit him up with a friend request because he just shares like pictures of all the construction pretty much every day, I would say. So it's been really cool to to watch that 
kind of unfold step by step. Yeah. And one more thing that was all over social media this week and uh, something that we wanted to address as well was that in addition to the Black Lives Matter protests that were happening around the country, uh, protests happened on campus as well that the university both tweeted about and tweeted their support of, which I felt was a pretty big move. Evan, you wanted to talk a little more about that? Yeah. So last Thursday around noon, um, hundreds of tech and grambling students as well, um, including student athletes, some alumni and community members assembled on Tech's campus and marched to uh, from campus to Ruston City Hall to protest police brutality and systemic racism in America. Um, we just wanted to say here at GCPDD, we stand with those protesters. Um, none of us live in Ruston, um, so we weren't able to be there. But we also affirm that Black Lives Matter um, and we wanted to say that Louisiana Tech has a complicated history when it comes to race, especially. And we we could all stand to benefit from learning about that history, reflecting on it and pushing our university that we all love. Everybody who's listening to this show loves Louisiana Tech um, to do better and to become better for the future. So we just want to make that statement. And, you know, with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and get into uh, the where are they now? stuff yeah well said yeah i don't think we actually talked about what the show is devoted to yet and i guess not devoted to but about this particular episode and that's that we're about to do another where are they now where we'll each pick a player or coach in my case from tech's past i guess i'm doing that twice now i need to stop picking coaches (laughs) but talk about what they're doing now or or kind of their journey at least after tech um i know i want to go second so who wants to go first i i'll go first because hopefully it's We'll just right. jump all around the timeline here. You yeah. know what? We we are time travelers. Yes. Um, Tech wins the Natty in 2022. But uh, hopefully this is not too much of a, like, just reading off Wikipedia because, you know, but I'll do my best. So, so, Evan, you have a 1990 Louisiana Tech vintage windbreaker from the Independence Bowl, correct? Yes, I do. It's pretty rad. It's pretty rad. Yeah. Um, I, I, I bring it to work. I wear it in the, uh, the cold storage areas we have because it's chilly in there. And... You know, need a jacket. So yeah, yeah, that was that was probably an unnecessary fact, but you know, let's let's Fun start off hot about here. Evan. <laughs> well, anyway, my my former player is actually the MVP of the 1990 Independence Bowl against Maryland, Ooh. Michael Richardson. Do I know who that is? Okay, you you just said it. I would not have I, guessed that. So yeah, I don't think I I didn't know either. You know, back you know 1992. You know, me, probably less than a year old at that time. So 1990 Independence Bowl, MVP Michael Richardson. So, you know, he he finishes his career at Tech and he goes to sign as a free agent with the New York Giants. Um, I guess he doesn't do too well with the Giants. I didn't find too much on him. I don't think he played too much. But the real fun fact is that he went in 1992. He got signed by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and just lit up the Canadian Football League as Several former tech players do, apparently. Yeah. He, he only played for five seasons. Uh, he played for two different teams, but his first year with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, he rushed for 1,100 yards in only 11 games. Oh, wow. So 100 yards a game average. He had one of the best playoff performance. He had 27 carries for 227 yards and two touchdowns in this playoff game. His first year in the CFL. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He, he won Rookie of the Year that season as well, and he was named Player of the Week for five weeks in the 1992 so and and they also won the gray cup that year which is the cfl equivalent of the super bowl look if you're listening to this this podcast is basically becoming a cfl podcast <laughs> we're, we're moving slowly that way i'm understanding why they put a cfl team in treeport for a while now since <laughs> there's that tech pipeline yeah just to just to get the scouting reports <laughs> it's like this is easy we'll just set, set up shop here 
But uh, he actually, um, so he won the rushing title that year, '92, and Rookie of the Year. He had a great breakout season, and he went. A, he won a second rushing title the next season as well. So he got Player of the Week three times that year, and they also won another Great Cup. But uh, I don't know if you know the geography of Canada that well, but he kind of went cross country because he went to the Ottawa Rough Riders after that season, and then Wait, he ended up yeah, the Ottawa Rough Riders. I thought the they Ottawa were the, Rough Riders, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Things have changed. I guess they I guess they moved or something. I don't know. I, I've just that's that's my you know, not that I actually follow the CFL, but that's my CFL team because I mean, come on, the Rough Riders, like come on, that's gotta be your team, right? Also Saskatchewan is fun to say. Right, exactly. So the combine those two things together and I'm like, yes, I'm on board. I want you out. This is a Winnipeg Blue Bombers <laughs> podcast. I want you to go. But uh he actually ended up tearing his quad. Ooh. That season. Ow. Yeah. Missed eight games. And uh, he came back to finish the season, and he stayed with the Jeez. Rough Riders for another year before he went back to Winnipeg with the Blue Bomber. You can so, you can come back that fast from a torn quad? You know, I have no idea. I am not Ouch. a doctor. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> Yeah, so. don't take your medical advice from us, I guess. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, he, um, the, the thing is, though, he ended up actually liking Canada a lot. So after he retired from playing in the CFL, he stayed in Winnipeg. So, he, you know, he... He got married up there. He has children up there, and they just live in Winnipeg. He's involved in coaching still, and currently he is a social worker dealing with underprivileged youth in Winnipeg. Nice. That's so, cool. Yeah. That, I saw some posts on, uh, I believe, his Facebook or other people's Facebook. He was donating some basketball goals, and he runs basketball camps up there as well. Coming from, like, because he was uh, from Mississippi, I believe. So Mississippi to Canada, that's a yeah quite the jump. Yeah. It says here Natchez, so Natchez to Winnipeg. I mean, I, I've never... I've never been to Winnipeg. I've been to Natchez, but I can't imagine they're very similar. Uh, they cannot um, be similar at all. Yeah, that's interesting though because um there's there's some hockey players who like they're from Canada, but their parents were from America but went up to Canada to play football. So like maybe Michael Richardson's kids will be future NHL stars and they'll come um, play for Tech Hockey and then um, <laughs> Yes. That is a natty we went in 2022. Yes. Actually, yeah, you didn't say what natty we would win in 2022. <laughs> but um, I think I, I saw an article about him because uh, some of his old coaches and stuff in Natchez said he was pretty involved in, you know, helping around with basketball camps and helping around his community there. So it's very fitting that he continued that once he uh, got settled in Winnipeg. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And that is my report. All right. We got to grade it. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a B plus. Good job, Josh. <sighs> you should know a thing about B pluses, Evan. Hey, man. Hey, man. <laughs> Okay, my player or coach or whatever, he's someone who I mentioned in brief in the blog post that was posted, uh, I want to say last week, it's been three weeks, I think, since part one came out, talking about the history of tech football. He was a coach named William Lone Star Dietz. He only coached at tech for two years in 1921. William Lone Star Dietz? Lone Star is a nickname. Let's say that. Uh, I mean, that's still awesome, though. Yeah. Sounds like a freaking like Western character, right? Like we'll we'll get to that. Sounds like oh okay, yeah. <laughs> sounds like Clint Eastwood would be playing him in a movie. I don't know. <laughs> Just to briefly, because I want to talk about him even outside, mostly outside of his tech stuff, both before and after his two years at tech. But him being at tech for a little bit gives me a pretty good excuse to talk about it. Okay, While at good. tech. He posted an 11-1-1 and record in those two years and won a conference championship in his first season there. Can, so, can he be our coach now? That's pretty like, – I would be ecstatic if we won 11 games. Yeah. Well, that was in two seasons too, though. Right? It wasn't so, two seasons, but that's yeah. six or seven games a season. So Right. Weird times. 
if you do the math if you do the math he was a pretty good coach for tech yeah so so let's talk about him the actual guy william deets so he's a so native american which explains the lone star name he went to school at the carlisle indian industrial school you may not have heard of that school because it's not around anymore, but you may have heard of a guy named Jim Thorpe or maybe Pop Warner. Oh, wow. Oh, oh my gosh. So Thorpe was the QB at the time and Pop Warner was the coach. Wow. Oh, wow. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So Dietz, while playing, he also became an assistant coach for Pop Warner and left in 1915 to go coach at Washington State. Go Cougs. And his first year there, he won the second ever Rose Bowl game before it was even called the Rose Bowl. Wait, this is Deets. What? What, what this in is, the world? This is uh, okay. Wait, this guy. Okay. I'm like, okay. I'm kind of blown he, away. How does he go from winning the second ever Rose Bowl to, to Ruston, Louisiana? Yeah. I'm like, we'll get okay. to that. Yeah. Continue. So while he was at Washington State, he also got into a little bit of acting because a lot of movie productions on the West Coast needed someone who could be a Native American in the picture. So he was often on set between coaching jobs or between like coaching duties, I guess. Interesting. So he took some time off and uh, took a few years off and later reappeared in Indiana where he coached at Purdue for a single season. It was not his greatest year of coaching and he only went one in six. He was released from his contract. Well, Purdue's gross anyway, you know. Yeah. So if it weren't for that one bad year, he probably wouldn't have been to Tech. Interesting. He kind of re-clears his name, I guess, at least from a coaching perspective, and he gets hired at Wyoming. Coaches there for a year or two, then gets hired at the Haskell Institute, which is now the Haskell Indian Nations University. Like Carlisle, there were these uh, schools built for uh, Native American children to go to to kind of integrate into American society. They were seen yes. as a very aggressive thing at the time. The guy who founded Carlisle Indian Industrial School said at one point, kill the Indian, save the man. So maybe not hmm. the best role models, but... I was going to say, we. I'm like sitting over here, this is not a history podcast. This is not a yeah. history podcast. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they, they, were, they were definitely problematic in terms of like what they were trying to do. Obviously, educating people is good, but they were trying to like... They basically didn't allow people to speak their native languages and like they were actively punished for doing that, um, which contributed to these native languages then dying out. So yeah, not, not great from a yeah, like anthropological historical perspective, but apparently they had great football teams. I, I got no, I got nothing for that. At the time of Pop Warner arriving at Carlisle, the whole philosophy around football was the bigger, the better. And Car- and Pop Warner played against Carlisle while he was a coach at, I think, Stanford, some other school, and realized that this team, even though they beat them, uh, they were much faster and quicker and had that, I guess, SEC speed. And so he left and went and coached at Carlisle and kind of <laughs> kept that philo- philosophy going all the way up until, I guess, modern day of SEC speed. But Stan- okay. Stanford had SEC speed. I mean, just even thinking about that in modern terms, it's like, what? <laughs> what? Those oh, nerds okay. have speed? <laughs> no, Stanford was the big guys. The Indian okay. Academy was the SEC. Speed. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh. Yeah, so that checks out. See, <laughs> that still computes. <laughs> Those nerds are still nerds. Yeah. After so, Dietz is now coaching at the Haskell Institute, another one of these Indian uh, universities. Um, from there, he was hired as a coach for an NFL team. The NFL team was in Boston. To talk about them real quick, in 1932, this team in Boston called the Boston Braves was formed. They were called the Braves because they played at Braves Field. It was called Braves Field because the Boston Braves baseball team played there. So is, is that the Atlanta Braves? It is now the Atlanta Braves, but okay. lots of Braves. The football team was named after the stadium that was named after the baseball team that played in that stadium. 
stadium. <laughs> okay. Oh, name, uh, oh, man. The Boston Braves football team wanted to move to the other stadium in town, the other baseball stadium in town, where a team called the Boston Red Sox played, and that was Fenway Park. So you didn't really want a team called the Boston Braves football team being played in a different stadium than the Boston Braves baseball team. It's already confusing. It would only get more confusing. So I'm the team confused. the team needed a name change. This this football team, this Boston football team. So they picked the Redskins, which according to current Redskins owner Dan Snyder, it was homage to the Redskins' newest coach, one William Dietz, that Redskins would move to D.C. and become the Washington Redskins. Uh, you know... Okay. <laughs> I mean, all right. Is what I'm saying making sense so far? Like the I'm whole, yeah, I'm yeah. Just not super enthusiastic about it. So yeah, they no. named the team in homage to him. I wonder if he had any input on that. Yeah, um, we'll get to that in a second. I've been saying okay, that a lot, right. but it still holds true. <laughs> okay, all right. So he only coached Dietz did for the Boston Redskins for two years, and then two years after that, they moved to DC, um, and now they're outside of DC. So who cares? After that, Dietz coached a small school in Pennsylvania for a few years. And what was is a- this guy's deal? Like, what makes him tick? I don't understand. <laughs> it's just like, got a coach. First person that offers me a job, I'm taking it. Like, whether it's Louisiana Polytechnic <laughs> Institute or Wyoming or a tiny school in Pennsylvania. Wow. All right. Hey, Evan, we'll get to that. <laughs> His last 20 years on this planet, he uh, he retired from football and he was a painter later in life until his death in 1964. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2012. Nice. Wow. Okay, but I'm not done. Yeah, I was like... You may be a little confused about some of those plot points in that story, but that's because I haven't gotten to the twist yet. So here's the twist. William Lone Star Dietz was not a Native American. Wait. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> So here's the actual story. There's this guy named James One Star who was a full-blooded So Indian. James had a sister named Sally. James ends up attending that same Carlisle Indian Industrial School that William Dietz later did, but 18 years earlier. James One Star joins the army, is later dishonorably discharged, and goes missing in Cuba. Are you, dude, are you about to fucking Don Draper this shit on me right now? Are we getting Mad Men? (laughs) I've never seen Mad Men, so Oh my god. William Dietz applies to that Carlisle Indian school, claiming to be one quarter Indian. He claims that his mom is a Julia One Star. In 1912, so eight years before Tech, Dietz writes to James One Star's sister, that Sally, saying that he is her long lost brother that went missing in Cuba. Bro, this is fucking madman, dude. Like without so, the Native American yeah. angle, but soon Dietz <laughs> writes asking for access to James's uh, government-funded back pay annuity. Basically, he's asking for James One Star's funds. Dietz then claims to be a non-citizen Indian to get out of the draft for World War One. The FBI finds out about this because he's a college football coach at Washington State at the time, and launches an investigation. Eventually, Dietz pleads no contest and is jailed for 30 days, but pretty much kicked out of Washington State, where uh, he kind of spent some time just kind of bouncing around the country before Purdue, right? Because there's that long gap between the two. And that's how he ends up at Purdue. At Purdue, he's hired on, doesn't really coach that well, but also gets caught illegally recruiting players, which I guess is the lesser of his crimes. And then he ends up at Tech. What in the and world? And this was like in the era where the news didn't travel that fast. So like he just beat the news places. So there was a bit of that. There was also a bit of the FBI investigation. There was a bit of does it, it at one point the jury was asked to think about whether or not he believed he was an Indian and not whether or not he was an Indian. Wow. I'm trying to reduce a eight to ten page Washington Post 
column from a few years back about him to to this story and also have it relate to tech a little bit more but yeah it was a wow this coach he went 11 one and one at tech that's really not saying much about his his life <laughs> then they found out that he was like a fugitive on the run and kicked him out of town i i just wow what <laughs> dude it wouldn't seriously not surprise me if like matt weiner the writer of Mad Men, like knew about that story and like did that identity theft is not a joke jim <laughs> yeah i mean to me it's it's bad enough to wow. to go and impersonate or whatever i'm not sure if that's the right word but a native american especially to like get out of the draft or something like that but then to go and try to back himself up by claiming to be this person's brother oh man that poor that poor woman too that sucks who thought and was most likely right because he was never found, but that her brother was dead, then have him write and say, hey, look, I'm your brother. Um, and the little difference between that James One Star and William Lone Star is in that Native American language, both Lone and One, the same word could be translated as both. Uh, okay. So I guess Lone Star sounded cooler at the time, too, I bet, to him when you're trying to build a persona as a... So this guy acted guy. in movies as a Native American like stand-in. Had what the, the Washington F- football team named what it is named because he was supposedly Native American. That's that's okay. still debatable as to if that was actually the cause or not. That's something that the current owner likes to use as an excuse for the name to still stand. Well, Dan Snyder is a terrible person, but yeah. we don't need to get into that. That's for our separate podcast all about why Dan Snyder is a terrible person. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that is something. Wow. That's... All right, well... After that, I don't, I mean, <laughs> my guy's definitely not that interesting, I guess, but we're going to, we're going to fast forward to 1971, which is the beginning of what's been called the golden age of Bulldog football. Over the next four years, starting in 1971, Tech went 44 and four and picked up two consensus national titles, 1972 and 73. But according to, uh, to Tech's own uh, website they picked up five different like different publications said that they won d2 national championships over that span um including one in 74 uh, perhaps most importantly about this era though 1971 was the first year that the louisiana tech football team allowed black players to suit up for the bulldogs uh, the basketball program had integrated for the first time in 1968 and hopefully i'll be able to look into that uh, more in the future but the football team did not have black players until 1971. Assistant coach Mickey Slaughter recalled that, uh, and he said, quote, we were playing teams with black players. So we came to the realization as a staff that in order to compete in both the present and the future, we had to recruit good athletes regardless of color we wanted kids that could make a contribution it just kind of evolved at a time when teams in the deep south actively began recruiting black athletes it was the natural order of things another assistant coach collins said it was time for us to get with the program to get with what was going on around us and dr taylor the president of tech uh, at that time gave his blessing to start integrating the football team coach lambright told his assistants to begin recruiting black players for that offseason um, so I'm just kind of curious. Did you guys know anything about when the tech program? Have you ever even thought about that before? You know, I I knew it was 
a thing that you know was i mean it happened like it was a thing that happened i just wasn't really cognizant of like when or thought to even right. look into when because you know yeah me know. either and and honestly like this is this is stuff that i've studied like when i was a student at mtsu i studied it there so i i don't know why i ever or why i never like kind of thought hey when did tech do all this stuff yeah i guess i also hadn't thought of the year it's a different sport it's a different era but it's also like jackie robinson was 1947 right there's a huge difference here between when sports first really started getting integrated and when tech and when schools in the deep south started doing it right yeah and and Um, it's on tech but it's also on all the other schools in the area as well right so i I think kind of the story goes that in 1970, which was the first year of the, uh, quote, post-Bradshaw era, the dogs had gone two and eight, and they were playing teams and losing to teams like ULM, who had already started uh, allowing black players on their team. Uh, of course, ULM was Northeastern uh, at that time. but A better time. Um, so you go from having Terry Bradshaw being drafted literally number one overall, and then you go two and eight the year after that. So so in, in that 1971 season, there were six players of color who came uh, and joined the tech football program. A couple of them you've probably heard of Fred Dean, obviously in the pro football hall of fame um, went on to a phenomenal pro career. Um, But there were also uh, players like Charles quick six McDaniel Roland Harper. Yeah, that is it. He was a running back. Uh, I almost, I almost talked about him. Uh, Roland Harper, who was a uh, fullback Gerald Eddings, who I believe was, um, I didn't put all these guys' positions, but I'm pretty sure he was an offensive tackle. Uh, Wentford Wilborn and Larry Griffin, who were both defensive backs. All of these players, except for Gerald Eddings, who had to redshirt uh, due to a recruiting issue, were immediate starters and four-year starters that helped turn around the Bulldogs. And like I said, they went 44-4 and in their class, uh, which I doubt any tech class has even come close to that since then. So yeah. Obviously, of these six players, we we all know about Fred Dean. He played for the 49ers and Chargers in the NFL and is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But all of those other players had phenomenal careers at Tech. And uh, I hope that, you know, at some point soon, maybe I'll be able to research them a little more for the blog. But today I want to focus on Roland Harper. He was a big, bruising, punishing running back who is from Shreveport. He played for Captain Shreve High School before coming to Tech. And he was actually part of the class that integrated that high school as well. So that kind of became uh, something that he was, he was, I guess, good at being a part of. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. And and so Tech position coach E.J. Lewis, who was the defensive backs coach, I believe, saw him play one quarter of a high school game his senior year and knew that he wanted him at Tech. The story goes that he approached him after the game and said, Hey, I'm from Louisiana Tech, or whatever we were called at the time. I'm not even sure. And and the I want, I want, yeah. Hey, I'm from the Tech, <laughs> and I want you to, uh, I want you to come for a visit next weekend. And he said, I'll be there. And it was a, it was a match from then on. But when he got to Tech, like I said, he he was part of that historic class that broke the football program's color barrier, and he also started for four years at the fullback position. He was primarily used as a blocking back and was known for being, um, again, a big bruiser, you know, kind of a guy who would go in uh, head first and just punish people. But he was also known as a quiet leader on the team. Tech quarterback at the time, Ken Landrip, said, quote, I thought he was our most valuable, valuable offensive player in 1971. Not only did he block for quick six, he did so much. We put in a dive option for the first time that season, and he got tough yards inside. He was a great blocker, 
but he was also a great receiver. We ran screen passes to him a lot. In his four-year career at Tech, he compiled 1,949 rushing yards, which at that time was actually good for second most all-time. And the first all-time was actually his teammate, and beneficiary of his own blocking skills, Charles Quicksix McDaniel. So that just kind of tells you uh, a little bit about this guy's skill, both as a blocker and as a runner, because he was not only the second highest rusher, but the guy running behind him and taking his lead blocks was the first highest rusher. So, so yeah, pretty, pretty good career for tech. Again, they won two national championships outright went 44 and four and uh, you know, a, a fullback these days, I guess not many fullbacks get drafted. Uh, we hope Bobby Holly can make something out of his uh, undrafted free agent pickup in San Diego, or I guess they're in Los Angeles now, whatever. Roland Harper was drafted in the 17th and final round of the Ooh. 1975 NFL draft by the Chicago Bears. He oh. was drafted 420th overall. Nice. Blaze it. Um, and <laughs> the Bears' first round pick in 1975 was a guy you've probably heard of. Walter Pop Payton. Warner. No, not Pop Warner. <laughs> not not uh, William Dietz or whatever. Not Lone Star. Uh, Walter Payton. Harper was not really expected to make the team being a 17th round draft pick, uh, but he he made the team. He made the roster as a st- as the starting fullback, and he start- and he set off to work blocking for Walter Payton, who, if you don't know who he is, oh. um, he, until Emmett Smith broke all his records in the 90s, he was the the best running back the NFL had ever seen um, and is still the number two running back overall uh, in terms of yards rushed. So, But with that being said, so these guys are both coming in as rookies together. The Bears named Roland Harper their rookie of the year internally for 1975. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then they also named him their MVP of the offense in 1978. And again, this is all while Walter Payton is on the roster, right? And and also Roland Harper was a four-year captain for the Bears on offense. So th- that just tells you a little bit about this guy, his talent, both on and off the field in the locker room. In 1978, he had his best season for the Bears. He rushed for 992 yards on 240 carries, which is 4.1 yards per carry. And he added 340 receiving yards and scored eight touchdowns. His uh, his total yardage, uh, over 1,300 yards, ranked 10th in the league that year, uh, again, with Walter Payton on his team. And they actually, he was eight yards short of them becoming the first NFC team to ever have two 1,000-yard rushers on the same roster. He ended up having to sit out the 1979 season with a knee injury um, and eventually ended up retiring due to that that nagging injury in 1982. Harper described his relationship with Walter Payton on the field as bookends. They were two parts of one whole. He said that they had friendly competitions and that the highlight of his entire career was outrushing Walter Payton in a game, which Payton then said would, quote, never happen again, and it never did. <laughs> so he appeared in like a goofy insurance commercial where he's saying like, I have helmets and pads to protect me. You need you need this insurance company to protect you. So it's, it's just one of those like super 80s, like it's a goofy commercial. Uh, maybe I'll tweet that out. Laser sounds in the background? <laughs> no, no mm-hmm. laser sounds, believe it or not. Um, so when he retired, he was fourth on the Bears all-time in rushing yards uh, with over 3,000 on 757 carries. So that's 4.02 yards per carry. He also had 15 rushing tar- touchdowns. And like I said, the guy he was blocking for, yeah, he's the NFL's second all-time leading rusher. At the time, he was the all-time leading rusher. Smashed all the records. 
and again has only been passed up by Emmett Smith uh, to this point. So that tells you a little bit about his skill as both a runner and as a fullback going out there and blocking. So after his retirement from the NFL, he was inducted into the third class of the Louisiana Tech Athletics Hall of Fame in 1986. And after football, he started a trucking and excavating company that, uh, and he still lives in the Chicago area. Um, and they actually helped build the new press boxes at Soldier Field at some point. And he, he has had one little, you know, not quite Lone Star level here, but he was involved in some kind of mail fraud thing uh, and ended up serving probation for that in the uh, mid 2000s. But um, since that point, he's he's been a fierce advocate for people with special needs. And he has been for really his entire adult life. His stepson, Calvin, was born with cerebral palsy. Um, he's 32 now and lives in an assisted living facility called Little Angels, which Harper helps bring attention to and also supports uh, financially. So overall, great dude, really, really great fullback and running back for the Bears and for Tech. So I just wanted to uh, to give a shout out to him. Yeah, and that's, I guess, all I got on Roland Harper. This is why I didn't want to go last, because I was hoping they had a feel good. Yeah, yeah. Stand up, dude. Yeah. Well, that's our three players we kind of dove deep into this week. Next up is our tweet of the week. And so this week's tweet of the week goes to at Valley Shook, also known as Podcat, that says, you want to help out athletic departments around the state? Why not have LSU football do a little local traveling? Split the gate at Nichols instead of them coming to a half-field Tiger Stadium? Go visit Southeastern, Northwestern State, Tech, Grambling, everyone. Except ULL. <laughs> those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Could not agree more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Great, great tweet. We like that guy's tweets. We don't like LSU, but he, podcast. He's, he's or funny, girl? dude. Podcast? Is it a guy or a girl? I don't know. Anyway, whoever it is, who cares? That about wraps it up for this episode of the Go Tech Please Don't Die podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at G-O-T-E-C-H-P-L-S-D-N-T-D-I-E. Or head to our blog where, okay, look, I promise part two will be up this week of the Louisiana Tech football history post. Yeah, barring any major societal breakdowns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we, who knows? I mean, that meteor we all know is coming. That's at gtpdd.dog. <laughs> and until next time, I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. I'm Josh. And go Tech. Please don't die. Please. Yeet. You know, 1992, you know, me, probably less than a year old at that time. So not really aware of college football. Do you know when you're born? <laughs> Was the 1992 game played in the, or 1990? I, you know what? Cut this. <laughs> I'm fumbling. <laughs> that ain't getting cut, man. You know, you know where that's going. <laughs> yeah, I do know where that's going.